as our text, but I'll be honest with you, don't, don't go there because I'm going to only read the inscription. Because the inscription that is there says this, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. It gives the backstory to Psalm 34, and this first message is going to take us to the backstory. 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we're going to be looking at this morning, or this afternoon. 1 Samuel 21, and as we go there, we're going to read these 21 verses. As you're turning there, I'll just tell you, we're looking at a three-part series. It's David's experience as he delineates a time of astonishing fear in his own life as a man of God, and then what he learned as he looks back and is reflecting in Psalm 34 and admonishing us and in times of fear, in times when life is just overwhelming us, what we need is to be awed by God. I spoke on this subject briefly in a one-time chapel message at ABWE, Association of Baptist World Evangelism. I was on the board there for a number of years. At the time, I had been on the board and knew a lot of the board members. I was speaking to the board and the, and the staff. And I talked about fear. And I remember a guy I knew pretty well from the board. He came up to me afterwards, and he made this statement. He said, Mark... If there's one thing I would not have thought you struggled with, it's fear. I was interested to say, say, wonder what those things were he would have expected I struggled with. But it hit me. Wow. How could he not know that I struggle with fear? Is this persona I'm putting out there so unreal? I wanted to say, man, are you kidding me? I've been in the ministry, I've been a lead pastor for over 40 years. I started as a church planner in the particular church I'm in now. God has been incredibly kind to me. We have a large staff, we have a number of pastors, we have a broader staff team. By God's grace, we have transitioned in the last number of years to the largest demographic of our church is late 20s and 30s year old. God has just done a beautiful thing. All those things have been true, but for me, fear has always been a companion. It has been a part of my life journey. Quite honestly, I think it's part of everybody's. Maybe we don't know it as fear, but it certainly is known by me that way. I've struggled with the fear of lack in the ministry. Lack in myself. Do I have it? Am I going to be able to make it? Lack of money. Lack of other resources in our ministry. I've struggled with my own fear of my own insufficiency limiting me from making a difference. Fear of conflict with powerful people. At one point, fear of the loss of my reputation, my name, my career, from astonishing allegations and attacks that were made upon me and my wife. These fears have sometimes resulted in discouragement, sometimes in anger, sometimes in wanting to just follow David's outlook about fear in Psalm 55 when he said this, Fear and trembling came upon me. 
And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Ever feel that way? David did. I want to look at Psalm 34 and today in the backstory of it because I want to talk about God. I want to talk about being awed by God. And in those moments, which some of you are undoubtedly in right now, when life seems overwhelming and scary and there is stuff that you don't know how it's going to play and what's going to happen, what God wants to remind us about, about Himself. I'd like to read the backstory here in 1 Samuel 21. Then David came to Nob. He's just found out. The one hope he had was that Jonathan was right. Saul wasn't actually going to kill him and wasn't trying to take his life. And he's just found out, nope, he is. And so David finds out, and here's what happens. Then David came to Nob, to Abimelech the priest, Ahimelech. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I sent you and with which I charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. And if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you'll take that, take it. For there's none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, and the servants of Achash said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see that the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Let's pray. Lord, we come to the Scriptures. We love your Word. We love how it speaks to where we live. I thank you, Lord, for even the time of worship we've had and the beautiful way 
that these, this team led us into your presence. And God, the beautiful reality we've been reminded of, the beauty is coming to, as worshipers before you. And God, we come now. And God, we ask that you would feed our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at three things in this three-part series. First, we're going to look here at a man in fear. Fear, the thief of strength, hope, and vision. We're going to look tonight at all. The restorer of strength, hope, and vision. And then, God willing, tomorrow, the template for living in awe as we walk through the verses of Psalm 34. The title of Psalm 34 is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech or Achish, depending on the version you have. So they drove him out and he went away. The backstory is here. We're reading about it now. And as we come to this passage, we find that there are three things that fear does to David. It's the same three things that fear does to you and to me. The first thing is fear controlled David. It took away his strength. I was on a flight. Um, we had meetings down in Florida with ABWE. I was in Atlanta airport. There was a layover. And I remember I was in, in, our, in our area. And there was a TV screen. And I was watching the TV screen. And a weatherman came on. It was a young weather guy. Very enthusiastic. Very animated. And uh, <laughs> he's telling the weather report. And all of a sudden, apparently, a spider dropped down right in front of him. And this guy lost it. I mean, the spider comes down. He goes, ha, 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 a spider. Did you see that? Did you see the spider? Ha, I hate spiders. <laughs> Completely. It, it, it all of a sudden, it was absolutely one of my all-time favorite weather reports of my whole life. <laughs> what happened to this guy? Fear grabbed him, controlled him. Fear is a dominating emotion. In our lives, fear is our response to perceived danger. David lost strength to persevere because of fear. When it controlled him, when, it, when, when the news was confirmed to him that Saul was in fact desirous of his death, David responds with panic. He didn't take the time to get his sword or his food. I mean, he just hoofed it out of there. Five miles north to Nob on his way, heading 60 miles west to Philistine territory. He's on the move. This whole story in 1 Samuel 21 is the story of David on the run. He's fleeing from danger, from Saul, even from the priests, let they find out what he's really about. And then, ultimately, he has his own way of trying to fear, flee the Philistines. Fear saps your strength. Paul talks about it when he, came to the Corinthian, when, he had, when he had visited the Corinthians. He's writing a letter to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear. Fear and weakness tend to follow parallel tracks, Right? That's what happened to Paul. It's what happened to David. Even God's champions lose strength because of fear. Fear makes you want to not persevere. 
to not have the hard conversations, to not want to face the conflict, to not want to go through the stuff of life that feels dangerous. Years ago, when I was just starting with ABWE, Dr. Floyd Davis, who was over our church planners, um, I think wanting to encourage me more than anything else, had me speak to everybody. I I did a three-part message from the Gospel of Mark, and in it, I quoted something I had read from the Yale Lecture Series. I think it was Lehman Beecher, but I'm not positive. I don't remember who it was. But I remember it was a story of one of his messages he did. And he literally came up to all the the preacher boys at the time. This was back in the Yale Lecture Series when they were really teaching truth. And he came up, and this was his message, apparently. He came up before the students, and he said, Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And he sat down. I later had a number of the other church planners uh, tell me that of all the stuff I said, it was the one thing they remembered, which probably is more reflection of the quality of the messages. But, but we get it. We know how it feels. And I'm not speaking just to pastors and pastor's wives. We all have that, I just want to flee away like a bird to the wilderness. This is how fear impacts. It gives you that sense of weakness, losing strength. He lost strength to do the right things. We look at him in verse 1 and 2 of our text here in 1 Samuel 21. He shows up unannounced. He doesn't have his big entourage with him as the the champion of Israel would normally have. I mean, he's the leading general of the whole nation. And he shows up and the guy doesn't even have a weapon, no sword, nothing. And and the priest says, "What's, what's happening here? Why are you here? And David responds to him, Why are you alone, no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter. And then he goes on and lies through his teeth. He says, well, it's about this. No, it's not. He's running for his life. He wants nothing to do with the king. He's not associated with the king. And as he came there, we see him. There's nothing in David where David is doing his normal thing, where he's not sure what to do, inquiring of God. This is a man on the run. This is a godly man on the run. We later find him in the passage in Achish's court. And when he hears them singing the ditty about David has killed his, Saul's killed his thousands, David his ten thousands, David knows exactly who those ten thousandths primarily were. They're Philistines. He's in their court. This is not a good place. And so David then feigns insanity. And we have this picture of the champion of Israel. The the David and Goliath David. Standing there with spittle going down, drooling down his face, scratching at the doors, doing everything he can to try to look like a nut job. This is not a moment when David is operating in faith in God courage in God. Just give me that giant. Fear does that to us. It saps our strength. 
He lost the strength to do the right things. As part of the Watergate hearings, this young man, I believe we have, his, do we have his picture there? Okay, thank you. Um, Herbert Porter was part of the Watergate, and the Watergate, if, if this is um, a lesson from antiquity for you, um, um, Watergate was where the members of the um, Republican Party broke into the Democratic headquarters at the Hotel Watergate, I believe it was, and basically what they did, they were trying to get information, wiretapping and so forth. And it was all illegal and eventually came out and it ultimately brought down the presidency of Richard Nixon. But in the Watergate hearings, Senator Howard Baker was questioning a young man in the regime named Herbert Porter. He was not a main player. But it became obvious that he knew some things early on. And here was the interview. And Howard Baker said, Did you not at some time feel, and I'm getting into your mental processing here, did you not at some point feel this is not appropriate? This is wrong. To which he replied, Yes, sir. Baker followed up. At that point, why did you not say something? To which Porter said, probably because of the fear of group pressure that would ensure, that would ensue the fear of not being a team player. People are big to us, their voices are loud, their contempt can be paralyzing. Fear can cause us to not have the hard talk that we know God is saying we need to do. Fear can cause us to not step out in faith when God is saying, trust me for it. Fear can take away our strength to do the right things. But maybe most tragically, fear can take away our strength to love. Here we read in verse 7 that when David appeared before the, the, the priest here in Nob, that little village, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doag the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. This is a guy that will report to Saul. David, there's a sequel, Saul comes in. And he actually wipes out the entire priesthood that is there at Nob. Kills everyone. One guy escapes. His name is Ahitub. Or excuse me, he's the son of Ahitub. His name is Abiathar. Here's what you read in 1 Samuel 22 in the sequel to this passage afterwards. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord and David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. His going to Ahimelech caused him out of fear to not be honest about what was going on. And when he saw Doeg, David said, I knew 
This was going to lead to something dark. At that moment, you want to say, David, then why didn't you, why didn't you, you out yourself? Because what happened when Saul came down to Ahimelech and the household, they had given him the, 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 the sword. They had outfitted him. Saul just naturally assumed they had known what he was doing and embraced him. Yet David, this beautifully godly man, because of fear, did not have the strength to love because he's so desperately watching, out, watching his own back. His fear trumped love. It, second, it says in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. On the one hand, he says, we don't have fear in the power of God's Spirit. On the other side, we have power and love and self-control. He says they are contrary. Fear and love do not follow parallel tracks. One displaces the other. I had a pastor friend in our area, this is many years ago, that had come into our area and uh, he took a church and it was a church that was sort of stuck in, in terms of ministry. And he came in and he had a lot of vision and a lot of ideas and, and a lot of, he just knew his, God's going to use him to get this thing off the dime. And he, everything he tried to do, he felt like just nobody would do it. Nobody would follow. Nobody would change. Nobody would move forward. And it got to the place where he kept, and we talked a lot, but he, he, it got to the place where he just was so frustrated. And then a small group of the church wrote a letter to the, to the deacons and brought up their concerns. And he responded uh, angrily, defensively, and he got the deacons to go along, and, and he wrote, uh, and it was his letter, he wrote a very harsh letter to all these people, and they had sent their letter to the deacons and sort of the membership, so he did the same thing. And so now you've got letters going back and forth, and just, it's just ramping up. And we talked, and finally, and his name wasn't Bill, I'm saying that just, I don't know why... You don't know who he is, so I could... His name, his name is Bartholomew. How's that? You don't know. But anyway, what happened was um, he came to me and he was, he was agitating. He was frustrating. These people, these people, these people. And I finally felt I had earned the right as a friend to say to him, Bill, when I listen to you, it sounds like your people are an impediment to your ministry. These people are your ministry. This is what I think was going on. He was so afraid that his church would never become what he felt it needed to become, he couldn't love. I understand that. I understand the temptation to say, oh, I'm so frustrated. There's so much we could do. And God says, don't go there if it's out of fear about something about you, that you're not going to succeed, that you're not going to have a ministry that's one certain way. David couldn't, didn't 
love because of fear. When fear is ruling us, the same thing happens to us. Fear not only your strength to love people in your church, I'm speaking now particularly to those in the past where it is limited when you're afraid. When you're afraid this thing won't succeed. When you're afraid what you, what you need won't happen. When you're focused on the danger you can't love. Fear crushed David. It took away his hope. In Psalm 34, David talks about the fears that he had in this experience. In verse 4, he says, All my fears. He talks in verse 18 about being crushed in spirit. In verse 6, he says, This poor man cried. Fears have a big connection to discouragement in the Scriptures. It's striking. Matter of fact, the word fear and discouraged and fear and dread are lined up repeatedly in the Old Testament. In Joshua 6, verse 2, it says, Do not fear and do not be discouraged. The word literally means do not be crushed. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9, Nehemiah says, you know, the, the, the surrounding governors and, and the entourage that they were trying to stop Israel from building, he says this in chapter 6, verse 9 of Nehemiah, they were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. A number of years ago, um, I definitely want to get this picture up. Uh, this one of the um, Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I know I'm Bill, in Bill's country, maybe Giants country, and, um, but we did have a good night last night. Um, a number of years ago, this is the offensive line, it's the current one, but a number of years ago, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles had the eighth pick in the draft in the first round. And we picked a guy that was an offensive lineman, a 330-pound man. And he joined our squad, and he, he was part of our church. He came to our church. And he was a very sensitive man. This is the kind of guy he was. When our son... Drowned in our pool at 19 months. This man showed up at the door when the word went through. He showed up at the door and he had in his arms big giant bags full of chicken, fried chicken and stuff. Hundreds, I mean hundreds and hundreds of dollars of chicken and just said, Pastor, you're going to have a lot of people through today. I'm so sorry. Here, just feed him. I couldn't even get him to come in the house. It's just that he was a shy man, a quiet man, a gentle giant. But that's the kind of guy he was. I can't tell you the number of times he was in, particularly, our counseling pastor's office. And Philadelphia Press, as you probably have heard, and fans can be tough. And he didn't have a great first season, and they killed him. And he would be in our office and he would just say, I'm afraid to go out. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to listen to the radio. He says, and he, I remember his statement, he says, why do they hate me? We'd say, man, they don't hate you. This, this is how we show effect. No. This is how they talk. It is that you're impersonal. Sadly, it's wrong. It's terrible. But 
It isn't personal, but it was personal to him. He lasted two years. He went to another team, lasted a year. He was out of the, and he was number eight pick in the draft. Incredibly talented guy. He would come to our services, and we had chairs like this. He would always have two of them. And big man, beautiful man. But fear crushed him. Now, you may be here and you may say, well, obviously, what a lovely man, a sensitive man, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a sensitive person. I'm just not. I mean, that's just not how I'm wired. Uh, I don't really deal with fear. Maybe. Maybe. But when your boss has the power to stifle your career, block you from making a difference, when the board is standing against what you want to do and you're just feeling it is, you are going nowhere. Things are just going bad to worse in your ministry. When you're feeling like, I've got a review coming up next week and I've got an employer that I know is out to get me. When you've got stuff on the line that matters, the dread of that, of what can happen to your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, that weigh down on you, man, that's called fear. And fear can discourage. It can crush your spirit. It can rob you of energy and vitality. My favorite example of this, I'm going to try to move quick here, is General George Patton. Perhaps the most crusty, old blood and guts was his nickname, the story, I read this, I'm a student of history, I love history, so I just was reading a book one time, and basically it was the story of George Patton, and George Patton was actually, of course he had, he had uh, gone in Sicily, had marched up through Italy, he was the hero of the, of the Allies in World War II at this point, he was the one guy that had beat Rommel, he would be able to take on, on the Nazis and, and the thrust into Germany. And so when D-Day came, everybody knew what that was, that he would be the one to lead the invasion into uh, France. And so there was a meeting that was held between General Eisenhower, who was the chairman of the Allied Command, and George Patton, and Ike's son. General Eisenhower's son was in the room. He knew General Patton, they were friends. And Eisenhower said to Patton, we're going to try to trick Hitler. We're going to try to fool him, which is actually what happened. He said, we're going to try to convince him that we're going to land at a place called Kalai, which was east of where the invasion of Normandy actually took place. And we're, we're, it's, the, it's the shortest route across the English Channel. It's a port city. It's a place where it, it logical we would go. They began to give secret espionage out to the Nazis, feed it, that this is where they were going. And what they actually were doing, he was telling... Uh, Patton about this is he said we're going to build a fake army in the English countryside we've already got it started we're going to have tanks and artillery and tents and a very large uh, multiple battalions of soldiers except the tanks are actually going to be made out of cardboard and wood the the artillery the the cannons are actually just going to be poles and from the and the army is going to be all English citizens we're just going to put in uniform and so when there's aerial reconnaissance, they're going to see this great army, and we're going to make it clear that you are posted there as the leader of that event. You are going to be the one that is our fake attack. 
going to Kali. But we're going to sneak and we're going to go to a place called Normandy. Ike's son recorded the event. George Patton, the most fearless general almost you will ever read about, lost it. And he said, Ike, I'm a warrior. This is the moment of my career. This is my moment to make my place in history. Don't sideline me. Don't put me on the shelf. Patton broke down sobbing over his fear of being inconsequential, a less than, an afterthought in the greatest invasion of military history. What was going on? He was afraid of what he would lose. Fear crushes. The last thing, fear, and a lot of the discouragement we feel in ministry, a lot of that sense of, of exhaustion, and I just, get me out of here, is traceable to fear. Last, fear cons, David. It took away his vision. It convinced him the enemy was too big. Saul was the king. David's married to his daughter. He's the general in Saul's army. He's beloved by his troops. But this moment just absolutely eats his lunch. He just sees everything out of perspective. It just seems too big, too dangerous, too, too hopeless. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you'll know what this picture is a picture of. This is called the Palantir. It's actually, think of uh, crystal ball. And in the Lord of the Rings, this is uh, something where you can see, um, as you focus on it, will show you what's going on in other parts of the world. The only problem with it is, it can be controlled by the Dark Lord. And what happens is there's a guy named Denethor, who is a steward of Gondor, which is a major city of man against the Dark Lord. And for months, maybe years, the Dark Lord has been allowing him to use this, and he's seeing everything that's going on. He knows what is happening in the realm of Mordor, which is the bad guys, more than anybody else in Middle-earth. He's allowed to see it. He's seeing the, the armies that are gathering, the giant trolls and all the various things. And he sees the army of Sauron. It's all true. But what he doesn't see, as he looks into the palantir, is he doesn't see that the promised king is rising. He doesn't see the forces of good that are also rising. His perspective is distorted. It makes him ultimately lose his mind and almost destroy his kingdom. Fear does that. Fear is a con artist of what's true. It happened to David. It convinced him the enemy was too big. And last, it convinced him he had to protect himself. We come now to verse 8 and following. And he says, isn't there any weapon here? And so Ahimelech, what does Ahimelech say? Well, yeah, the, the sword of Goliath is here. He says, oh, there's no sword like that. Well, he's right. There is no sword like this. The spearhead of Goliath 
weighed 15 pounds. I mean, just imagine getting this long pole and, and putting on there a 10-pound weight and a 5-pound weight and trying to pull that thing back. I'll tell you what it would go. It would go like this. It's too heavy. There's so much weight. But Goliath, not to Goliath. He has this massive sword because he had this massive spear. He's a massive man. Nine foot six is the projection. What's David going to do with this sword? I mean, he's going to sort of drag it around with him? He takes the wrong weapon. He relied on the wrong weapon. He resorted to the wrong weapon. This is exactly what we tend to do with fear. When we lose perspective, when we think, I've got to work this out, I've got to figure this out, whatever's going on in your life now that is that thing that is seeding you with, I just see disaster, I don't know how we're going to get through this, I don't know where we're going to go, how we're going to get back off the dime. If fear is, is, is speaking into you, it is invariably encouraging you. You've got to do this. You've got to figure this out. And what you're going to tend to do is you're going to tend to go for the wrong weapons. One weapon we can do easily as a pastor is power. Manipulation. You say, well, no, I would never manipulate as a pastor. Honestly, you have. I have. Just working it a little bit. I don't mean being lying, but, but just trying to, to, to work the situation. We will have other methodologies. It's interesting. There's a book out there now. It's been out for a little while. It's now getting traction. It's called The 48 Rules of Power. It is a godless, diabolical book of 48 different principles of how power can work. And if you read it, which I don't necessarily encourage you to, but you will be astonished with how smart it is and how evil it is how to manipulate people how to deceive how to control there are three groups of people that are the primary ones that are making this book popular today here's what they are they are the three niche markets for this book number one are actors that one i don't completely understand the second one is politicians and the third are inmates in prisons and just this last year, they have come out with a federal statement, this book is not to be allowed in prisons. Power can work. But power manipulating, trying to will it through, trying to put it through, trying to control, leads to things like the rise and fall of Mars Hill. We understand how these things happen when we feel like this is, we got to get this thing going. This is what will work. This is what we'll accomplish. And so we take it on ourselves and we try to pull the weapons that we are familiar with. We hide our vulnerabilities. We aren't transparent about our weaknesses and our struggles. We think the way to lead now is to not let anybody get close and really know the loneliness and the, and the, and the struggles and the fear and the anxiety that I'm feeling as a pastor. And then we really become dangerous. The second thing is he ran to the wrong place of safety. He ran to Gath. There are five cities in Philistia. Guess which city is Goliath's hometown? He went to Goliath's hometown. He went to the wrong place to escape his problems. There are wrong places you can go when you're struggling. 
There are an awful lot of people, Christian people, that run to pornography. There are an awful lot of people, surprising number of people, that run to gambling. That run to a sectarian perspective. That it's us and them and I'll find my security in being in the right group or, or the right political party or, or, or the right this whatever it is. And we make it about us and them. And if we trace it all back, it's somewhere about I'm afraid I'm going to lose something. I'm, I'm, I'm driven by fear. We make it about us. I really should ask when I... I'm, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm done here. Our great enemy, our great enemy, uses fear as a primary weapon against us. I want to close with this. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It's the, the spiritual armor passage, of course, the invisible war. And it says this in Ephesians 16, 6, 18, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. He says, you need the shield of faith. This is what you need protection from. What? Flaming arrows of the enemy. Just track with me here. This is my last thing. Flaming arrows were used in this picture as a visual of it. Flaming arrows were used in warfare. And they were, they were formed by, you got a regular arrow, and you dipped it in pitch, and you let it set, and now it was very heavily weighted on the end, which made it completely inaccurate. You, you could never point it at a target and be sure it was going to go anywhere near it. So why have a whole regimen of, of individuals that are firing flaming arrows? And why say the devil is shooting flaming arrows? Why not just arrows? Because flaming arrows had one purpose. Flaming arrows were not intended to hit targets. Take out soldiers. Flaming arrows were designed to fly into the enemy's camp or into their, their, their regiment in the field and just to hit wagons, maybe to hit soldiers, maybe to hit horses, to hit armaments or, or equipment. And when the, the arrow would hit with the pitch on it, it would spread. And all of a sudden, fire is everywhere. The result would be chaos and confusion and terror the whole purpose of the devil's flaming arrows is to foster fear. It's why, if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, where in that battle scene in the beginning, they're, they're, they're all lining up and they're, they're releasing the flaming arrows, here's what the general says to them. Release hell. Release hell. It's, a, it's such a profound picture. That's exactly what's happening. Fear is an issue in ministry. It is a struggle in our lives. And it is a controlling element. It's a crushing element. It's a con artist. So how can we possibly overcome our fears? We are not wired to do it by ourselves. We do it God's way, through God's help. The Bible says we fight fear with fear. We overcome fear by awe. And now that I've gotten through all the bad news, 
I want to talk to you about that in the next two times together. Lord, I bring to you every brother and sister that's listening today. Lord, first of all, I praise you for whatever is in their life that you're allowing that is causing them to feel unsettled with fear. Because I do believe that you as a sovereign, good Father, allow those things in our lives, purpose those things. We might learn to lean into you, to be awed by you, to embrace what David had learned later to look back and embrace. God, awe us with yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so glad that we have a place to run to when we fall into those traps of fear. That no matter what, God looks at that and says, yes, you made that mistake. Yes, you, you believe that lie, but I still love you. You're still mine. His mercy and his grace is so prevalent in those times. Let's stand one more time and sing about that.